Holy God, Almighty God, merciful Father, loving Father, as we come before your word this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us, shape us, give us the mind, the heart of Christ Jesus, all to your glory and honor and praise, in Jesus' name, amen. There are many people in this world for whom God seems distant. It could be that they never knew God before. It could be that they were of faith and drifted away. It could be that the cares of this world just got in the way of having a relationship with God. Or it could be that someone has been ensnared in sin so much that they think that God would never, could never forgive them. On the other side, it could be that things are going so well that they don't rely on God so much. Instead, focusing on things that they can do by themselves. And thus, God, faith, church, all of that becomes just another thing to do, a routine to go through. You or people you know might be in any one of those situations or even more of those circumstances. And those circumstances, by the way, aren't just for individuals. They can be for bodies as well. There are some churches in which God is distant. And it could be that they are rich or poor. It could be that they are large in number or small in number. And yet the Holy Spirit, God, seems absent from that particular church. And it is not just churches, it could be nations as well. Nations can be very distant from God. And currently in our nation, we wonder, has God abandoned us? Will God abandon us? Is there any way to be restored, to be forgiven, to be healed? So the answer to all of this, by the way, the answer to all of this for individuals for churches, and for nations as a whole is the same as it has always been. It is to seek His face, to seek the presence of God. But what does that mean, to seek His face? I mean, really, it's kind of a churchy saying, isn't it? Seek the face of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to spend this week and next week and perhaps the week after, we'll see, about what it means to seek the face of God. And we're going to focus on a reading that's probably very familiar to you. It is from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You probably have heard this one before, a familiar one. And there's really four things that we are called to do in here. We are called to, be hum to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek, and turn. Now, I have to admit, when I first started working on this, I thought we were going to do all of this today. I did. And then I got stuck on one word, humble. And so today, we're going to find out what it means to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
I was kind of humbled by even working on the sermon today or this week. So let's go with just this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves. The Bible has a lot to say about humbling ourselves before the Lord. And while we can use the word humble or humility, and although there are some differences grammatically between the two, I'm not going to split hairs, and I'm going to use the two interchangeably, to be humble or to have humility. Well, what does that really mean? It's the, in, a, in the broadest sense, in the broadest sense, it's the quality we are to have in our relationship with God and with each other. So that's the baseline. It is the quality we are to have in our relationship with God and with each other. And as you can see, it says humility is the opposite of pride. It is the absence of pride. How many of you remember Walter Cronkite? You remember, right? Yeah, we're all of that age. We remember Walt, good old Walter. Well, he, he uh, recounted a story. He loved to sail, and he was on the Mystic River in Connecticut, and there's a lot of tricky channels in that particular river. He and his wife were on the river, and they saw a speedboat passing by. And the occupants were shouting to him and to his wife. And he waved back. He says, I waved back with a cheery greeting. And my wife said, do you know what they were shouting? Why, it was, hello, Walter, I said. She said, no. They were shouting, low water, low water. Such are the pitfalls of ego and pride, right? But ego, pride, affects what we hear, what we see, what we think, and how we behave. And ultimately, it brings us to a low state in our relationship with God and with other people. So pridefulness comes when we forget who we are before God. And humility comes when we understand who we are before God. And God often has to remind us again and again and again. It was the same with the Israelites. How many years were they in the desert? Forty years, right? That's a long time because they were rebellious. They were stiff-necked. They didn't want to follow God's commands. Remember, they built a, a golden calf. They couldn't even wait for Moses to come down from the mountain, so they built a golden calf. And so God had to remind them, harshly you might say, because 40 years in the desert is a long time. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So it is not just the Old Testament God who calls out our pride. From our reading in Revelation, there was a church in Laodicea, and they were very rich, very rich, and they were full of themselves. Remember I talked about in the very beginning, sometimes things are going so well, you, don't, you think you don't need God. 
So this is from Revelation chapter 13, starting with verse 17. For you say, and this is Jesus now speaking to the church, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and shame and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you, may be, that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Okay? So I, there's another verse I read. Now, all of that, right? So this is about as harsh a rebuke that you could ever get to the church. And this is Jesus speaking to the church. Not God of the Old Testament that some people want to say. God, Jesus, speaking to the church. And now comes this famous saying, here I stand knocking, right? And they have Jesus going, knock, knock, knock. You know, like a little timid knock, knock. No, he's like pounding his fist on the door because they have not repented. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's more like pounding. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Sometimes, I know, I, I don't know about you, but me, I can be stubborn as a mule with God. And do you know what it takes with a mule? Sometimes you've got to take a two-by-four over their head. Apparently, that's just me, though, right? <laughs> so what happens is humility we understand our relationship before God. In humility, we actually acknowledge our sin before Him. Humility allows us to acknowledge our sin before Him. And, and this is hard because we want to hold on to the, to the idea that somehow, somewhere in us, there's this core of goodness right? That we're, we're somehow good and we just occasionally do bad things. But the Bible says we are sinful through and through. Paul, Paul knew this. Paul knew this. He wrote a letter to Timothy and it's in from 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. What a phrase, right? Think of Paul, the stature of the evangelist Paul when he wrote this. He says that he is the foremost sinner. Now the King James Version says, of whom I am the chief. That's where we get this idea that he is the chief of sinners. And remember, he describes himself as a blasphemer, 
persecutor, insolent opponent. And notice, he does not say, I was a sinner. He says, I am the foremost of sinners. And in other places, he says, in Ephesians, he says, I am the very least of the saints. Paul held out no hope whatsoever that he was good apart from Christ. And he knew he brought only one thing to his salvation. Do you know what he brought to his own salvation? The sin that made it necessary. That is the only thing that you and I bring to our salvation is the sin that makes salvation necessary. And Paul knew this. And he knew that it was just by the grace of God. You see, when you humble yourself before God, you start to understand the grace of God and how wonderful His grace is. It says this, that uh, it's on the screen, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. This is like a the rushing water is just flowing over me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful gospel statement. What a statement about grace. See, when you come and humble yourself before the Lord, you truly understand how marvelous His grace is. We're going to sing that song later, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. And this is what Paul is writing about. The grace. You see, pride rejects God's grace. Humility seeks it. We're thirsty for it. We yearn for it. You remember the story from in Luke about the Pharisee and the tax collector who were praying? This is going to give the example of one of pride, one of humility. Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One commentator put it like this. The humble person avoids false humility and is not interested in appearances. I mean, it's one thing to put on the show of humility, but we're commanded to appear humble in the sight of others, but, not to, uh, but we're not commanded, sorry, let me get that right, but we're not commanded to appear humble in the sight of others, but to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord who seeks the truth of the heart's condition. Sometimes what it means to humble yourself is finally to get your heart 
aligned with God, with his word, his will. And when you also do that, when you acknowledge your sin, just like the tax collector, what you're seeking in his mercy is grace. You are seeking to be restored. You see, pride is the enemy of seeking God's face. Humility brings you into his presence. If God seems far away, humble yourself before him and seek his face and be restored. Because in humility, there is restoration. You could say that humility is necessary for your salvation. Because when you are humble before the Lord, it goes hand in hand with repentance, doesn't it? It says that we are to repent of those sins, that we are to turn away from what is wicked. And that's from the reading in First Chronicles. We are to turn away from what is wicked. And that's really about repentance, to do a 180. See, you can't come before the Lord and humble yourself and say, yes, I'm a sinner, but not repent. Say, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm not going to change anything over here. I'm not going to turn away from what is wicked. That's actually not humbling yourself before the Lord. You remember King David and Bathsheba. So King David and Bathsheba, they had an affair, right? She became pregnant. And what did King David do to her husband? He had him killed. He sent, him to the, he sent her husband to the front lines, said, okay, then withdraw, withdraw and just leave her husband up front to be killed. And then Nathan the prophet comes in and he calls him on the carpet. And David is struck. He is brought low. He is humbled. And he repents. Psalm 51 is all about King David. King David wrote it and it's about his repentance. Listen to him here. And I'm going to read a larger section. Have mercy on me, O God. Just like the, the tax collector, right? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then most people know this one. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now listen to this. He says, cast me not away from your presence. In humility, he is seeking the face of God. He is seeking his presence. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He is crying out. He is brought low. You can imagine him on his knees, repenting, crying out to God. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
That's the humbleness of coming before the Lord. That is what it means to be lowly in mind. And the best example we have of that actually is of Christ Jesus. Humility in a literal translation is a lowliness of mind. Now, don't confuse that, by the way, meaning that you are less of a human being. Don't take that at all. One person put it this way, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. It puts us in the proper understanding, the proper light of who God is, and then we are to live accordingly. And so we look how to live, and we've been talking about this in the entire series, how to live is to follow Christ Jesus. To follow Him fully. No holding back. And so we are actually not to only imitate Him, but we are to have His mind. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, that's the pride part, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Okay, so we've, we've got that, right? But then he goes deeper and says, what is that all based on? It is based on the mind of Christ. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. When it says that Jesus humbled himself, it means that he gave up the right. Not the ability, but he gave up the right to exercise his full divine nature, his power, his majesty. He gave up that right for the sake of the Father and for the sake of you. And what he did is he completely submitted to the Father's will. He completely submitted to the Father's will and went to the cross and died. This is the mind of Christ. It is complete surrender to the Father. Now, we've covered this before in this series. We've talked about complete and absolute surrender. And we talked about that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But we also talked about how absolute surrender is really hard to do, isn't it? Anybody be succeed in that yet? I haven't. There's always a little part of my ego, my pride, that wants to say, yes, God has done all the work, and I help out a little bit. Just a little. Not a lot. But we want to do that. And by the way, 
absolute surrender to Christ Jesus in this time and age in which we are in seems to be absolute foolishness. We have a culture of wokeism. And wokeism is the most self-centered movement that there has been in recent memory. Because wokeism says, it's all about me. I am the center of the universe, and whatever I want is what's important. Do you get that? It's, it's literally the most prideful movement we've seen in a long, long time. What it is, is if you take God out of the picture, the old self, the prideful, sinful self, will simply rise to prominence. And thus, having God at the center is the antithesis in the woke movement. So if you want to be counter-cultural, <laughs> really, if you want to be a rebel today, be a full-out Christian, through and through. Yeah. Amen to that, right? See, you and I, though, and you, I hope you can hear it throughout, you and I are called to a different calling in all of this. We are called to the humbleness of Christ, to surrender fully to him. And when the ego, the pride, everything else is put aside, what you find is peace and rest in Christ Jesus. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the humbleness of Christ Jesus. And that's the humbleness we are to come before him. And there is peace and there is rest. And ultimately, you're going to find out, and this is the last part here, that humility is other-centered. Pride is self-centered. The true humility first, and that what you've been working on this entire time, is the vertical aspect of humbling ourselves before God. And there's the cross, right? To be able to humble yourself before him. That's the vertical aspect, to know who you are in relationship to God, to know who you are in relationship to Christ Jesus. That's the first part of humility. But it is not just a vertical orientation of humility, is it? There's also the outward part, the horizontal aspect of a life in Christ Jesus. Christ obeyed the Father's will. He died for your sake. There's always the other aspect, and it is such a strong other aspect. So in humility, we are also then to come before others. That's the relationship we are to have with other people. We go back to the Philippians a little bit. Paul was writing about this. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not to, only to his own interest. So, by the way, he doesn't say, you can't do things for yourself. He's not saying that. But he's saying it's not just for yourself. It's for other people. He says this. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Now, I, I thought about examples that I could give for this. And some of them, you know, the, you go into any war and there are examples of people who sacrificed their own health or even their own life in saving another. There's example exa- after example about that. There's example in natural disasters, right? People come together and help each other out. Uh, think of 9-11 too, right? People, even a nation, come together for a moment. The needs of others overrides anything else regarding self. And I thought about giving example after example about this, but I kind of went, you know, those are such high examples. And I don't live in a world in, in my area right here where that's happening all the time, right? I, I mean, we're, we are in a spiritual battle, <laughs> okay, but we're not in a physical battle right now. There's not a natural disaster at the moment. So how do we live out this horizontal aspect of the cross? And it's actually right in front of us. It is the food closet, right? That's a really simple way of a vertical, a horizontal aspect of helping people with food or desert manna. Or it could be actually telling another person, come and see, hear the gospel. That's another way of reaching out to others. It could be just giving a ride. It could be building some new shelves. So thank you for those who did it. (laughs) Building new shelves in the church office. Right? Those are all ways in which we extend to others. And we've talked about this before, also stewardship of your gifts. To be able to use your gifts for the sake, not uh, to the glory of God, and also for the sake of others. So think about this as you think about humility. Because it's really easy it's really easy just after church, go home, and then just like nothing, right? Or even sometimes even the rest of the week. But it's, it's, it's an effort, right? We have to extend ourselves all for the sake of God and loving our neighbor. Okay, so how do you apply all of this? Hopefully you've heard a couple things along the way. And by the way, I've never preached on this verse. I've never preached on humbleness before. And it's not like I I haven't ever humbled myself before God, or God hasn't humbled me. Remember, mule? Uh, But I never really grappled with this, what it means to come and humble yourself before God. You see, in this whole series, God's church for times such as this, we need to humble ourselves before him. And we're going to talk about prayer and seeking his face next week. But as a church body, individuals and as a church body, we must humble ourselves before him. This is the call. This is the command that we are to do. So this week, two things. Take time this week to humble yourself before him. And as you, you can think about this, what gets in the way of humbling yourself before him? 
are the cares of this world just too much? Or I don't think I can come before God because I've sinned too much? Whatever the case might be before you. So take this week, take this week, take time to humble yourself. And then meditate on Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. What is it to have the mind of Christ? And then notice your relationship to God and then to other people. If you do those two things, you will be richly rewarded. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for Christ Jesus, for the cross. Continue to work in and through our hearts so that in humbleness, We are restored, we're forgiven, we have the fullness of joy in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.